Hey everybody, welcome to My Town Hustle. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting about reimagining public employment. Stay tuned. Welcome to My Town Hustle, where we take an in-depth look at the people, policies, and processes that make small towns work. Focusing on trends in urbanism and creative economies, My Town Hustle explores the ideas that make our community special. So sit back and enjoy the show. I start this show hey everybody there it is okay <laughs> we can keep that let's just <laughs> let's just roll right into it <laughs> we're into it all right everybody welcome to today's episode uh we're going to be chatting about reimagining public employment i have with me as always the yoda of all things government mr brett Alfin. hey everybody Hey, everybody. I almost didn't. I hesitated. Pause there. I hesitated. <laughs> he called me out earlier. Yeah. I, to, okay. I was going to leave him alone on it, but, you know, <laughs> right. he hesitated. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I also have Sam Tootin of Six Mo City Services. Oh, what's going on? And, of course, me, the host, Jared Perry, the voice. The voice. We're just out here getting her guys. Jared and I are wearing the same shirt. That is neat. That is neat. Sam and I wore the same shirt yesterday. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. It's like team shoes in high school yeah. sports. We're a band. We'll we'll uh, wear the same shirt tomorrow. We're a jug band. We'll split it around. Uh, okay. So reimagining public employment. This is this is going to be the beginning conversation of many more many, conversations. Many more. Um, I always get annoyed with people when they go to present something and they're like, this is the first topic of blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, dude, land the plane. Like, tell me what you're going to tell me. Uh, but this, we're, we are going to discuss um, this book that we're pulling this from called mm. Strong Towns. Shout out to them. Follow them on, on social media. Just yes. type in Strong Towns. You'll see it. Um, Charles Marone. I hope I'm yes. saying that Shout last name. Shout out to Chuck. So... A lot of the ideology and things that we talk about in here, that lot, there's a lot of synergies mm-hmm. um, between what we uh, are, are trying to do and, and what they've done here in this book and uh, the movement that they've created and started. Brett brought this to us probably, what, a year ago? Yeah. Year and a half ago? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've since been, I've started to read it. I can say that I've not read the full thing, but I'm going to It'll be like book club yes. for me. Same here. Um, but I, when I read and see books like this, I, I kind of like open up interesting pieces when I have yeah. like time rather than like starting at the beginning. It's like reading the Bible. If you've ever started reading Genesis, it's like the most boring thing ever. But <laughs> you just pick a good part and you can jump in in the middle. And I did that uh, in chapter nine, right. you know, which is... It's an engineer called, thing. Yes, yeah. it must be. Engineers, <laughs> sound off if you really do this. Yeah. <laughs> called Place-Oriented Government is the Ooh. name of the chapter. Yes. And I got drawn to this table, table 9.1, uh, how a city's priorities must shift to build wealth. And that kind of spawned in this uh, conversation inside of our walls about kind of reimagining and rethinking public employment and how that kind of um, plays into uh, major metropolitan areas and both and micropolitan areas as mm-hmm. well. So... Uh, to start things off, Brett, can you um, give us a 10,000-foot view? There it is. Oh, man, I was waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> can you give us a 10,000-foot view of, like, Strong Town's the book, the yep. ideology, that sort of thing? 
Yeah, and I'm really excited. I've been waiting for this. Uh, I'm like a little kid. I was annoying everybody. <laughs> I, I got this book as a gift from my friend Jason Piles. Shout out to Jason. Zones. Zones! Yeah, buddy. So I got this book. It came out in 2020. Um, I've been aware of the Strong Towns movement on their social media and the things that they do for a long time. And this book is really the culmination of that. And I'm going to try to keep this under an hour. Because <laughs> I could say so many things about this book. I will say, I read this entire book in less than two days. I could not put it down. It's only, what is it? Like 230 pages. Yeah. Now, for me, yeah. I was like chapter one in grade school. Like, I'm real slow at reading. Yeah. I'm super slow at reading. <laughs> but Yeah. This book really spoke to me after my experience at the regional council for 20 years and all the things that we did and the programs we worked in and the, the projects we worked on this book really was talking i felt like it was talking to me like it was speaking to you yeah mm-hmm. and it, did it, it make you jump it, it did made, it have anything to do with that um part of it did because um this book as i was heading out of the regional council life and into the consultancy mm-hmm. um this book is really also saying this is what consultants are doing wrong as a big part of what's happening in our communities. Mm-hmm. And it's fueled by various public programming and funding and how we do develop projects and what kind of projects we do. And I was totally complicit in doing all those things, not nefariously, but you know, doing mm-hmm. those kinds of projects for a long time. And so the Strong Town's idea, before I belabor it anymore, is that we develop projects in our communities and we take actions in our communities that primarily deliver us short-term benefit. Mm-hmm with no real serious consideration for the long-term impacts of what we're doing. Meaning, can we afford it in the long-term? Does this serve the population of folks that we have or we think we will have in the long-term? Do these projects take us to what we're envisioning for ourselves in the future in the long-term? So when you build that, uh, when you work really hard to build that big box store or land a huge industrial development or build a big, you know, highway extension or any of those things, does, is that really taking us closer to where we want to be? Mm-hmm. And while, yes, it, it is good for now and it helps us now, in the long run, can we afford those things both financially and personally through what it does to our labor markets and all those other things? So it, it's re- this book is really asking you to think critically about what we're doing now and how that's going to impact us in the long term and don't give up long-term benefit for short term, short term gain. Um, I could say way more about it. it it's um, as we go through some of these uh, uh, positions that Jared's pointed out on this table around um, public employment, um, I'll be able to say a lot more about it, but this, if you haven't read it, highly recommend it's a fast read. And if you're in the public sphere or if you're, I mean, since you're listening to my town hustle, this is probably your thing. Anyway, this mm-hmm. book will be your jam. And, um, I think this was part of the reason I jumped. I think this was yeah. to, to polish it off. Yeah. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Good. Yeah. Um, well, I've started, uh, again, like I said, I started reading this chapter, and then the other night the kids were out on the uh, sidewalk riding their scooters, so I pulled it back out and started reading the, the first chapter. And it's very well written. Um, it's an easy read in that regard. Yep. It mm-hmm. feels like somebody's talking to you, like narrating this yep. story about, strong town like i'm building up to something like i'm in the in chapter nine i'm in the thick of it right so it's analytical and detail Mm -hmm. in the beginning it's leading up to i'm going to tell you what i'm going to tell you Mm -hmm. sort of thing yeah uh so chapter nine place oriented government table 9.1 very Mm -hmm. engineering of me get them um yeah (laughs) this this table to kind of you know draw a picture for folks who aren't familiar it's got a Three columns, department, conventional priorities, and strong town priorities. And that's really what we're going to go 
go through. We're going to look at three positions. Um, one of them being city engineer, mm-hmm. one of them being city planner, and then one of them being economic development. Okay. And if we need to come back and revisit, there are a few other ones in here for folks. If, if you're dealing with housing authority, he's got a, a one on that. Yeah. Transit coordinator, public safety, maintenance, parks, et cetera. Um, all super useful and super beneficial, but for the things that we are talking about specifically on this podcast, kind of uh, you know where we are in today's world, yep. we wanted to hit these and highlight these three. So. Here, here's my here's our disclaimer before we go into this. Some of you may some of you listening may hear city engineer, city planner, mm. and economic development, and have none of those things within your right. public government mm-hmm. positions Absolutely. in your hierarchy. And we recognize that as a problem in itself, right? We, we know yeah. that, you know, we're surrounded by communities that are very small communities that have a mayor and a clerk mm-hmm. and a few other extraneous positions, and that's it. Yeah. And so we understand, and now we are acknowledging that having the opportunity to have an, a city engineer and a city planner and economic development is quite honestly a luxury for a lot of places. So yeah. Yeah. if this doesn't apply to you, we have not overlooked the fact that many communities aren't there yet and and we recognize that and what i hope that people if you are in that position and you are maybe you're a trustee or like you're saying you're a a mayor clerk whatever uh concerned citizen there will come a time when people from government organizations i'll call them regional organizations or economic development organizations like we have jobs ohio uh, here and several other spinoffs of that. When they come to your town and they start talking about X, Y, Z thing, mm-hmm. about, oh man, this is going to be so great for you. It's going to be so great for you. You know, this construction project's going to happen and there's going to be jobs and there's right. going to be full hotels and then the restaurants and all this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. When those, that's nice, but that's going to fall under the conventional priorities. What we're talking about and I'm going to be advocating here are the strong town priorities. So mm-hmm. when you, when you hear those projects come around, you need to you need to be looking at the strong town priorities for your for yourself because that's more of a longer term vision rather than that shot in the arm, mm-hmm. you know, short term kind of right. fix that I think yeah. com- we would all agree conventional economic development does. Yes. Uh, so let's let's start off with a city engineer. Um, conventional priorities it kind of lists three here. Reducing congestion, moving automobiles quickly, and securing state and federal funding to build new stuff. 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 Um, strong town priorities. Building measurable wealth with each project. Providing an abundance of mobility options within the city. And working to have a tax base sufficient to support ongoing maintenance obligations. Wow. Right. That last yeah. one, if you are a city engineer, tell me right in here if that is part of your nine-to-five work schedule. Yeah. I would be, my head would, uh, there's no way that happens with all of the obligations that are currently laid upon city engineers mm-hmm. today. But I love that because it's super analytical. Yeah. These yeah. are the people that are meant to say, this has a you know, cost-benefit analysis of blank. Well, and it's, it's, it's not sexy to say, and some, you know, some engineers are elected. You know, some are appointed, some are elected. Yeah. 
it doesn't sound like a successful political platform to be like, I'm going to kick butt at maintenance. Mm-hmm. That's not very sexy. You know, yeah. sexy is we're going to get a new thing or we're going to build a new thing or we're going to expand a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maintaining what we already have at a high level is not a real attention grabber for somebody. So I agree with you. Um, you know, I think even the smallest of communities, it's no doubt the biggest liabilities that they have on their books mm-hmm. are their infrastructure assets right mm-hmm. in there. We've got to maintain them. We, we struggle to afford to put them in. Um, once they're in and they've got a useful life of, you know, 20 to 25 years, during that 20 years when you're not paying any maintenance or very little, it's fine. Um, but eventually that bill comes due, and then we're right back where we started. We, and it makes you, and then, you know, Chuck Marone would ask, could we, have, could we ever actually afford that anyway? Right. That, that's kind of the question. Mm. But you're right. I mean, I think, you know, it, nobody's out there bragging about how good they are at maintenance. I mean, I don't think that's where we are. We're trying to land things, do things, build things, expand things. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. Uh, kind of optics. New projects are sure. also optics for sure. elected officials. Sure. They want to get in and they want to do the sexy things because, sure. oh, yeah. well, so-and-so is doing something. Yeah. Sure. Yes, but the person before that was also plowing the streets and getting the leaves picked up and, right. you know. Yeah. Um, Sam, what was your, did anything grab, I mean, that one just stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. I've, I've not, I've talked to a lot of city engineers in my career. Never once have I had a conversation about how they are working to have a tax base sufficient. That almost sounds like yeah. I need to be in different meetings. Yep. Right. And different conversations. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very structural, very to the point. In my experience working with them, they, they're on site. They're, they're looking at the problem. They're almost dealing with things as they come up. And so, and not thinking, I guess, of why or how to stop that. Right, it's very transactional mm-hmm. to where they are constantly uh, responding to that stuff. On top of that, if they're in any review or they're doing any kind of actual check on things, I mean, it's it's. I don't live that world as an engineer, but you know, it's read, look, check, 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 and then move on. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not conversations. I think, like you said, with um, particular people, you know, the mayor or people coming to town, developers, things like that. Um, that really have a good working relationship with the other people on this list, like a planner um, or someone in the economic development realm to gain that knowledge, right? Because that's where they're going to feed off of each other, I think, as, as to your point that, you know, if they're just looking at it like an engineer and they're not into the actual trans- actual aspiring kind of conversations that other people are having, then I think they're going to miss out on that. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned in my career as an engineer and scaling a a consulting engineering business mm-hmm. is that there is, and I'm, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I highlight the fact that we are not sitting here saying that city engineers are doing it wrong. That's mm-hmm. not what we're saying. True. Yeah. yeah, We are saying you have been conditioned. Your jobs that have been put on you right. are, are fire drills. And this is where I was getting with the, the consulting portion of it is an engineer, their mind is, is, programmed to think long-term, not short-term. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet they are asked to do nothing but short-term, put out this fire, 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 put yep. out this fire. And if you are only looking at what is in front of you, you'll just knock down that obstacle because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You're a very highly productive, highly efficient person. You'll knock out that obstacle and then another one will pop up and you got to knock it out. And it's, that's your day. Yeah. What helped me the most 
in consulting was when we finally got, I was able to bring a person on and let that person fight some fires. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to elevate my, my line of sight, if mm-hmm. you will, a little bit. And then bring another person on and elevate my line of sight a little bit and a little bit. And that just was kind of linear in that progression as you bring and scale systems underneath of you. And then you got to the point where you were in God mode. You were just looking down on everything. And there was nothing that was popping up in front of you because you could see everything underneath of you orchestrated and you could move these bits and pieces out. And uh, the the computer development... shouldn't say computer, software development world, right? They use a, a project management method called Scrum. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just an, an iterative process, but there is a person in that process called the Scrum Master who basically doesn't do a whole lot other than just remove impediments yeah. from the, the technical production staff. Your job is to go remove this impediment. So we actually implement, implemented that, a little bit of that at Sixmo um, on our structural engineering team and tried to get, you know, what software developers would call minimum viable product, we tried to get that to our contractors and we, we thought about it a little differently. I became, you know, a pseudo scrum master. Well, Jared, I can't design the foundation because I don't have the soil support. Okay, I'm, I'm after it. Yeah, right. You start setting up the drawings, you start pulling in the standard details, you start, you know, setting up the base plan from uh, the architect, you know, I'm going to go hunt that down. Hmm. And they didn't have to think about it. So then we're removing impediments Mm. and then there came a time where we scaled to the point where now we've got somebody dedicated to do that yeah and so well think of your think of these conventional priorities of just moving automobiles quickly for an engineer that's that's fixing a problem the strong town priority providing abundance of mobility options within the city that's creating so Mm. these engineers who are creators are aren't able to do that um in these more conventional settings because they are putting out those fires they're answering those short-term questions as you stated so it, it is uh and then yep. back to what you're saying i mean just they don't get to be in that room to see that to be above and to be able to facilitate and move things around and think forward and think for the future so yeah and you know it reminds me so uh i don't think we've ever mm-hmm. talked about this book but uh at sixmo we any new employee that that comes on uh is required to read a book brett is getting ready to come up on his um, oh yeah, book reading is it? Um, yeah. but I'm ready. I'm ready. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a book that um, my business partner and I, Pat Thornton, started the company. What's called the Great Game of Business by Jack Stack, and we make every employee read it. And then each week at our weekly meeting, they need to present one chapter, kind of like a grade school book report. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you say, okay, here's what this book said. Here's how I think it applies to our business. And then you've got a roundtable of everybody who's been through that process before and says, yeah, that's, that's almost right. Or that is right. And, you know, here's how it made sense to me, yada, yada, yada. But the whole point of that is helping people, getting people to the point where they understand how their job affects the business clear down to the person that's buying as they give the example in that book, you know, the person buying and refilling the toilet paper, mm-hmm. your job has a meaning and here's why it has a meaning. Here's how it affects the bottom line. Here's how it affects, you know, um, everything you know, culture, um, you know, work, workplace satisfaction, all of these things. So in this city engineering position, when I look at um, working to have a, a tax base sufficient to support, you know, the maintenance and infrastructure, that person also, why they need to be in those decision-making uh, meetings, okay, mm-hmm. they also still have to be integrated at the same time with their 
staff. Yeah. Because now they have a working base knowledge of everything that's going on within the city. They know kind of, and you, if you're a manager, you'll understand this. You'll know um, what is a relevant criticism or concern yeah. and what is kind of, uh, what, what's the nice word here? Uh, what, what is, what is not what, what you can say, I understand what you're saying, you know, but that's, you know, on the list of a billion things we've got to, we have to do yeah. that return is very low. Yeah. Okay. But in, in all these other categories. Yeah. So, uh, you still have to be plugged in. It's not like you can just release yourself and only work on that. True. Um, you've got to be integrated in hiring and putting people in positions to succeed is also super, super important. Yes. Uh, because you got to be able to trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't want to belabor that. Any, mm-hmm. Anything else we want to chit-chat on city engineer? What, what would you say to somebody who doesn't have a city engineer? Because mm-hmm. most of municipalities, I'm going to say 5,000 and below. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have one. Yeah, there's only a few in the southeastern Ohio that I can think of that are city engineers. Would you recommend folks who, I guess, then would hire out because that's what's going to happen, right? Right. You're going to hire out your consultants, you know, for your sewer water uh, extension or or whatever the case may be. Um, Would you would you recommend that they hire somebody, you know, a a, an engineering firm to, to do this? Or would you recommend that come from, you know, some sort of actuary or accounting firm or you got to have the talent in order to, you know, that's kind of like the chicken or the egg. And that's a tough question. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the answer, I mean, and this isn't a good answer, but if I just covered up everything else and I just looked at the strong town priorities for all these positions and I just read down through them, build measurable wealth, you know, provide an abundance of mobility options facilitate the next increment of our growth, you know, all, and I'm not even talking about any position. I'm just looking at only the strong town priorities. Mm-hmm. I would say anybody that's working inside government in any way, whether you're an elected official or whatever, those should, these should be your goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it applies to a city engineer. Yes, it applies to a planner. Yes, it applies to an economic development person. It applies to a village council person. It applies to the clerk. It applies to the mayor. Yeah. So, that's why it's almost like a mission and a vision you know it is and i think that's the kind of the greater message i mean reading these priorities is really the greater message of what the whole strong towns thing is about is Mm -hmm. if you're in any of these positions doing something that's relevant and impactful to your community or another community that you care about you should be thinking about these things yeah Mm -hmm. just in general whether again regardless of your position so I would say that, that that would be my answer is if you're in any of those, you should be doing these things. But specifically on the engineering thing, I think what you find is most communities don't have the money to do these types of ongoing projects or even the maintenance without external help, grants, loans, whatever. They don't just have the general fund money to do that. Yeah. And so they're hiring these folks in on a project by project basis. And that's that's the way they do it. Hey, it's time for our annual, we can do resurfacing this year with you know, Ohio Public Works Commission money or whatever we've got this year, yeah. and we can do this many streets, and then they're going to, you know, the, there's going to be a project engineer for that project, right? Right. And so, um, you know, most communities just aren't, at least around here, aren't in a position to have an ongoing consultative re- relationship with an engineer, engineer like that. They're going to do it when they're doing a project. So, yeah. and I think that's the reality. And then mm-hmm. the other thing is, as I think about this, is that 
these conventional priorities are also driven by what programs exist out there, right? What funding and assistance and, and, yeah. and programs what, what, are what out there. What is the state telling us that we need? Yeah, here are the... Then, here, oh, we can... We can Right. Get 80% of that paid for. Exactly. 100%. Exactly. So it's not all on engineers just being tunnel visioned. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying you're put in a tough position and you're not working with a lot of resources and you have to work inside programs. And especially if you're in a rural community that were probably made for an urban community and we shoehorn it to fit a rural community and it doesn't always work or it has other challenges. And so like Jared's saying, it's, it's challenging in all ways, but it doesn't mean we don't or shouldn't have to try. It's it's so funny you say that. So one of the things that uh, I I pick up from this book and what really started drawing me to it is the call for self-sufficiency. You provide for yourself. That's what this whole thing is about is that you are a resilient. Strong town is a resilient town. It's I can I can function on my own. Okay, state government, you don't want to give me more money. That's cool. We've we've built this right. sucker for the long term, so that's fine. Right. Yeah. It's one of my recommendations to anybody who runs a nonprofit, and you have, and it's the majority of your f- funding is donations, mm-hmm. and then you have a board, and then you have <laughs> this board. Predominantly, is almost always encompassed by people who are self interested. That's just the way it works. Or I want to get so and so on board because they have access to capital and. You know, I'll get their opinion, and because I'm taking their opinion into consideration, then I'll get X donation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It limits what the executive director or the director or the president or whatever of that organization can do because they are limited by the interests of their board. Yeah. So, in order to get away from that, I always recommend, and I've had a few buddies um, that have, you know, gone on to do these things. And I've always recommended, how can you get self-sufficient? How can you create incoming, recurring revenue on your, on your own? Yeah. So that you are, you're, the operational costs are not dependent upon donations. Because at some point, doing the right thing is going to tick somebody off. Because it didn't help them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be left holding the bag if you're solely dependent upon donations. So I love... I love the resiliency yep. portion of this. Yep. The last thing I want to touch on is this building measurable wealth with, with each project. Mm. To me, that screams for a city engineer, if you're going to say, I don't know, like uh, increase the capacity of your wastewater treatment plant. Hmm. Hmm. What's the pro forma? Did you run through that? Or did you just say, oh, well, no, we have uh, currently x amount of users on the system they pay x dollars per month so we increase this capacity we can handle this many more so therefore that many new users times this many you know previous dollars per you know tap hey then this makes money that's not a pro forma folks that's not how that works what this is saying building measurable wealth with each project is building a pro forma understanding what your both short-term and long-term costs are and brett you hit on this earlier How can you make this thing self-sufficient and actually turn it into, again, a revenue generation? How do you make, if you're the wastewater treatment plant, how do you make the wastewater treatment plant a profit center for the city? Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, just the burden. Yeah. So I've, I've seen, unfortunately, a lot of that um, thinking. And again, I don't think it's that these folks can't figure this out. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the time to figure it out. You'd be shocked yeah. to know how many communities are out there, small communities, that have a 
water distribution, and a sewer, you know, sewer collection system with no income tax. And their only incoming ongoing revenue are the fees paid from the water and sewer mm. that funds everything. Ooh. You'd be shocked to yeah. know. Yeah. Just think about that, how that works. And then think about how important and how that, critical it is to get that, that number system, right. That, well, yeah. think about how yeah. in that system, yeah. the, everything that you're doing is reliant on that system operating. Yeah. I mean, and operating efficiently. So, uh, okay, we're gonna jump now to city planner. Sam keeps kicking me. He wants to jump in there. <laughs> that's his bag. Um, Baby, I'll read the conventional priorities mm. and then the strong town priorities, right. and then Sam, you jump in there. Okay. All right. All right. Conventional priorities for a city planner: enforcing regulations. Ensuring adequate parking, <laughs> separating uses, and reducing nuisances, projecting future growth, and making plans to handle it, and zoning. No, no, not yeah. gonna hear. I'm not gonna hear zones. Okay, zones. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, strong town priorities: facilitating the next increment of maturing. Ensuring adequate tax base. There it is again. So city planners got a seat at the table as well. Mm. Ensuring new buildings fit with a neighborhood pattern. I like that word there. Mm. Pattern. Not, this is an R2, and it's been an R2 since 1971, and this is what it is, yeah. regardless if it's morphed into something completely different over the last, I don't know, five decades. Yes. Uh, implementing adaptable systems that will respond to changing market conditions. And the last one is urban design. And that mm -hmm. kind of sits across from zoning um, on that last yes. leaf there. So, okay. Sam, what are, your, what are your hot takes or what do you gather from that? My definitely hot take is that the strong town priorities is probably every planner that I know or know of or has gone through any type of schooling for that. That's what they aspire to do. Aspirationally. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but when they get into the job, they are doing the conventional priorities. So there's very limited room, just like the engineer of time, to kind of implement those as best as you can. Um, and I, I, can, I can vouch for that. So yeah. watching you, uh, you know, and you're, uh, right now you have a role with the municipality where mm -hmm. you are handling, you know, uh, a mm -hmm. deficit of two positions that they have yep. in, in city planner. I mean, everything that's, it's just like wildfire. Yeah. It's just, you're knocking stuff out. Fire after fire after fire after fire. Phone rings, phone rings, phone rings, phone rings, phone rings. Yeah. Um, I, it's super transactional. If yeah. you were in that office mm -hmm. every single day, I can't imagine how many other distractions there would be from these strong town priorities sure. with people coming in, you know, answering questions that are right there. I almost think yeah. there's a little reprieve because you're not in the office. Yeah. So I can, the, I can a hundred percent vouch for that. And especially when, and a lot of that's just the regulations um, and, and probably zoning. I mean, you have regulations set, I guess, in place in terms of procedure, right? So plan, a study planner will review certain things uh, or go over certain things. They may be tied more into the zoning aspect of, of those regulations as well. Um, but that's what you get hammered with, you know? So if you're facilitating applications or particular projects, they have steps, 
You have to cross-reference them. You have to do, you know, put some time and due diligence into it. Yep. And then, boom, you can get distracted by something else. And that's something else. You know, you're, you're a public servant. So that's something else maybe, maybe crazy, you know. But you still can't just knock it off. At the same time, and I vouch for this. Dismiss it, right? Dismiss yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and if it falls under a category that for someone to run through the proper channels, just as someone that maybe has an idea that is not as crazy or, you know, just far-fetched or whatever, you, know, you have to let them do that. And I, we advocate for that. We advocate that, you know, people should have the right to be able to go through a process, get honest and reality feedback into it, but just do it. Um, if a public servant doesn't do that, then you're misleading people and you're shutting people to the door and you're not, you're not letting people uh, interact with the city in a, in a proper way. So that's a different thing. But, um, I mean, the adequate parking comes into every regulation you look at. Separating uses and reducing the nuisance, that's, that's everything. Um, and I literally sat in a meeting the other day and for a potential new project, and my main focus was the, the look of the building the neighborhood that's around there, the pattern. I mean, just, you know, they can do it zoning wise. And that, that cro- that all looked good, but how is the neighborhood? How are the people nearby going to react to this particular project? And, you know, that's what we wanted to voice to them is that put the good thought into that. I'm just telling them to put thought into it. There's not much regulation or enforcement behind sure. that. Well, I was, was going to ask, were they, were they concerned about that? I mean, would that have come up if you hadn't have pressed it? I'm, I'm asking because they're caught up in the reality of we're going to get this project. Yeah. And we're just happy with that period, right? Like we just want the thing. Mm-hmm. We're not really concerned whether or not it looks good, whether it meets the, the character of where we are. I mean, yeah. so I just wonder if they hadn't, wouldn't have There's thought There's not about an that. ARB in this municipality, correct? There, there is. Yeah. There is? Okay. Yeah. Um, but not in this particular area for this particular mm-hmm. project. Um, they had they had great design. I mean, it was, it's very very early on. Um, but when I said they should be very um, aware of all the other amenities that they were also were asking for aesthetically, it should make sure it fits. And they wrote it. I mean, they wrote it down. They they from from going not writing down to writing down that note good. Uh, was huge. Good community uh, partners are, are huge. Yes, aspect. yeah. Um, and that's not always the case, obviously. Um, but. Like I said, it's just, it's a, a planner aspires to do all the things on the right, but are just constantly stuck on the left. So, and I'm looking at the chart. Sorry, guys. You know, Strongtown's on the right, the conventional's on the left. So, <laughs> um, talk to me, Brett. Kind of, you, you had your interest peaked when I read facilitating the next increment of maturing. I like that mm-hmm. wording as yeah. well. I feel like all of these, there's, this is a purposeful, statement yep it increment is purposeful in that so kind of talk to me about what what that means so this this incremental development is probably one of the central concepts in the whole strong town uh, mindset and certainly in the book and the idea is at the very beginning they're talking about think about towns as we knew them in the 17 and 1800s and so you built what you could afford which might have been a trading outpost right just like a a crude trading outpost because that's all we needed because we need to trade these furs, right? Or, yeah. you know, whatever. Raccoon pelts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and then as the, as the raccoon pelt business takes off <laughs> and you get, you gather a few more resources, maybe you build a sturdier building. Maybe you build a second floor. You incrementally build and develop for what fits your need immediately. Yeah. They weren't going in there saying, okay, guys, we're going to build, I went to India. 
and I saw the Taj Mahal. We're going to build that here to uh, trade our raccoon pelts. We're going to build it all now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they, yeah. they, they only built what they needed, and then they were able to increment up as success or resources dictated, and, it, and then you didn't get over-invested in your building. And so the, the example of this is like, um, like a shopping mall, right? So think about it. A shopping mall is built, and it can only really be a shopping mall. It can't go up to be anything else, right? It's kind of built. Right. It's in a very finished state. And that's, it is what it is. And um, it's either a mall or it isn't. There's no in-between. Now, we, there is adaptive reuse. But in terms of this, they didn't increment up to that most times. It's just we built it to a very finished, finite state, and then it was done. Um, with no room left to do more or do what we need next. Unless you're, if, if it's successful, obviously you're building more onto that. But the incremental piece is the, is the critical concept like throughout the whole book. Building, you know, and that is dictated by your energy, your motivation, your success, your resources, your desires. And, and that's how uh, communities through cultures developed over centuries. And that was a great model. And somehow he, they're saying in the book, in the 20th century, we got away from that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. We basically stopped doing that and we just leapt ahead to a very finished state. So the incremental pieces is huge. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of planner, I mean, a lot of, if from you not having a planner to a lot of city planners and cities that probably aren't in metropolitan areas that are growing, aren't, uh, have to do, you know, are, are kind of stuck with the conventional thought to, to do, to build, to build the big thing. Um, but more or less or not, all the little things are incremental things, all the little incremental fixes, right? You're given a physical environment that's already been established. You don't get to, you know, dream of your big, your new city, how you would lay it out. You have to look at the current environment and what you want it to be. So, so I'm going to put Jared on the spot. Okay. So, and I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but th- talk about this building. All the things that this building, 204 Front Street, go on Google Street, Street View, look us up. Yeah. 204 Front Street, Marriott, Ohio is where we're recording. Mm-hmm. Talk about what this building was in the way back. And yep. in the middle, and where where we are now, and it's a perfect example of incremental development. It, it yeah. is a great example. I was actually going to mention it. Um, so Got thank you, you bro. for <laughs> propping me up. Uh, so we bought this building back in 2017. I want to say mm-hmm. um, when we bought it, we're in the historical district in Marietta, so I had to do uh, some research. Went to the genealogy library and kind of learned the history of this building. Um, looking at old, uh, I don't even know if they still do this fire maps. Oh yeah. Uh, Sanborn. Yeah. 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 Um, so you could kind of see it's great. You want to talk about incremental, you can see where a business was and where it grew or buildings grew, blocks grew, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the building directly adjacent to us, um, that'd be two Oh two, I think, um, McKenna's market. That was the first building on this block. And that was owned by a gentleman named, um, C Grobel. Um, and he was a furniture maker, a uh, competitor to um, the Mills family, which is anybody familiar with uh, Marietta history, chair makers, um, very prominent. And uh, business business was good. So in 1870 to somewhere between 1880, um, this building was added onto from that building. Mm. And we're sitting here, I'm staring at a window opening that's been bricked in uh, inside of our interior wall. Because then, ten years later, business was still booming, and he built the the right. building that's right next to it. Yeah. Um, and all three of these buildings 
served that same purpose for that furniture kind of manufacturing. Uh, and it was, it was interesting because they had storage for raw material. They had refining and um, uh, finishing mm-hmm. on a, a separate floor. And then they had their retail space. Yep. And everything was done here. It was shipped here, it was finished here, and it was sold here. Yep. Um, and then all three of the buildings had connectors. When we were renovating the uh, first floor and the entry vestibule, um, there was actually an opening. We thought it was um, brick, but it was a blocked-in two-by-four opening. Uh, in the early 1900s, then, uh, this changed over um, to a... Uh, it was a like a fruit stand, uh, then it became a flower shop, then it became a, uh, it was the first Sherwin-Williams store here in Marietta, uh, and then it became uh, the Tin, Tin Rabbit, uh, okay. which is what it was when, when we purchased it. I think that was in like 1980 uh, that they converted that, and it was like an antique yep. store, and man, was there a lot of stuff in this building when we <laughs> yeah. bought it. Um, but the incremental development I could tell you a similar story with every other building that's in Marietta. Right. It happened because somebody built something, then times grew and whatever. And I've, I've got another one I want to talk about is implementing adaptable systems that will respond to changing market conditions. So market conditions were good in the furniture business because this area was growing at that time. Right. So people need furniture. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, whether it was the college that was growing, whether it was housing that was growing, et cetera, families that were growing. I mean, heck, everybody I know from, you know, uh, that era was having seven to nine kids. Right. So, you know, <laughs> you need more space. Um, so that's kind of the story of this building that we are in. Yep. Uh, and I would say it's very emblematic of the town that we are in and the towns, you know, probably where our, our listeners are in as well. That whole story, though, too, is urban design in, in terms of, like, the actual in, in neighborhood pattern. You, it's a bunch of uses, so the conventional planner has, has zoning regulations. But the other side of that, long-term, that the history of this building in this neighborhood is aesthetically the same, right? Mm-hmm. Those buildings exist. They're still here. They, they do anything. The uses come and go, and that's, that's good and all that other stuff. The- but. Yes, the, you know, the uses come and go, and I also want to make a point to say, um, because I'm I'm very bullish on this, and I'll, you know, change my mind as Brett often would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uses will change, but also the architectural and aesthetic appeal True. will change. You look at any, uh, we have a historical review board here. I'm on it um, for our C4 district, and people will say, well, that's you know. That's not historical. Well, what's your point of context? Yeah. Right. What's your history? Yeah. Is it the 70s, mm-hmm. 50s, 30s, 20s, late 1800s, mid 1800s? Like, mm. people didn't worry about that stuff then. Yeah. And people, what, what I keep trying to bring people around to the concept of is you're not after some sort of like, it was this way in 1905. Yeah. Because if that's what you want to do, then everything's got to be that way. Yeah. That's not the case. What you are trying to capture, your lightning in a bottle is charm. I want this this to maintain its charm. I want people to walk down the streets and go, look at that. You know, that's wonderful. That's what you're trying to get. You yeah. look at old pictures from the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, this place was filthy. 
Yeah, that's yeah. not something to want to go back to. No, no. not no. at all. It board, was all board sidewalks, and it is. And we're not like the only ones. Yes. You know, yeah. um, you know, I lived in Cleveland for 15 years. You know, oh, they ruined their lakefront. Everybody ruined their lakefront. Everybody yeah. ruined their waterfront. Why? Because yeah. that's how you got business done. Yeah. You know, we've got a, uh, our train station was right downtown. Our our livestock was right downtown. Everything was downtown because the world didn't revolve around, oh, is this city be walkable or not? That that didn't exist then. Yeah. It was how do we make money? How do we prosper? How do we grow? This idea it, that's we're we're coming back to is is really a marriage of everything that was and then everything we've learned from right. what was. Yeah. yeah, right. And how you know, we're trying to we're not trying to go back to the way yeah. it was. And that's why I don't like when when um this is 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 not a uh, it's not a reformation. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a a transformation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's well, you're you're marrying well, two concepts, yeah. and 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 kind of uh, you know it's like we I approach historical renovation. Mm. I'm not going to just make something old for the sake of it being old. Yeah, I I have these ten ceilings. They're sixteen feet in the air. They're PVC, baby. Mm. Everybody comes in here and goes, oh, I love these t- 10 ceilings. I'm like, yep, well, they're PVC. <laughs> they look like 10. Yeah. But, you know, in 1800, you know, 1905, yeah. they didn't have cell phones. We yeah. have them now, and we need cell phone service. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to facilitate things for the way we live now. Yeah. There's no reason to bang your head against the wall when you go into work. Well, things change. Think of, think of a community that we, we, we've been in, we know nearby that we question what, what's downtown. You know what? What is their core? What is their urban design? What's their environment look like? Yeah. And right now, I would say they're at a pivotal time to create it. So, fifty to hundred years from now, that's the historical point. You know, because it has changed so much yeah. that it's gone past a point where now it's time to re envision and and think of the space and and not just put that store yeah. or that rest fast food restaurant in there the three just, of us just talk about a lot here is the stewardship what you're getting at yeah it's not you're borrowing this town for you know whatever 80 years you're walking this planet god willing right yep so that's that's the stewardship part it you may not get to enjoy it. it's like planting a tree mm-hmm. you may not get to enjoy the thing but somebody will yeah and someday it's going to be beautiful and you walk down all of our streets here um mayor joe was big on that i know like tree city usa baby you yeah. know um 40 years yeah, thanks for your 10 truck bed loads of leaves every year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Minimum. All right. Um going to jump to the next one, Economic Development Department. Oh, yeah. Uh conventional priorities. Recruiting one business uh, oh, well, Brett is I've already can tell he's oh, like tapping his leg. I can't wait. Recruiting one business that adds 50 new jobs. Mm. Handing out subsidies to new businesses. Mm. Creating Jobs, economic hunting. Mm, I like that. Uh, strong town priorities. Helping 50 existing businesses add one new job each. Reducing the burdens on existing businesses. Creating an environment that promotes job creation and economic gardening. So let's talk about the first one here. The the dichotomies here are recruiting one business that adds 50 jobs or helping 50 existing businesses add one new job each. Let's kind of like riff on that a minute. This was probably 
the punch me in the face moment of the book. This is <laughs> your me. that the the emoji where like the brain is like opened yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This was me because I mean I spent twenty years working with communities to help them create projects that create fifty jobs, and was marginally successful. And that's being really gracious to me. <laughs> marginally successful. For a myriad of reasons, you know, because this, this to me was where I really experienced the, we're trying to use programs that were created to benefit urban communities and rural communities. So, for example, um, there's a federal program out there that I worked in deeply for 20 years, and they're really focused on drawing economic projects to communities that create a lot of new jobs and leverage a lot of private investment. And it's got to be pretty numerous. And they have a lot of money that they can put into these projects. But what we found was our, the projects we have that might create a great project might create 10 or 15 jobs or 20. Does not compete with what's going on in Toledo or Dayton or Cincinnati or Columbus. And so it was very hard for right. us to get those projects funded because we could never meet that metric. Yeah. On top of that, we're facing the reality that, quite honestly, and this is no secret anymore. I think we tried to keep this a secret for a long time, but it's no secret anymore. We don't have the available sites. We don't have the available utility. We have questions around the quality of our workforce. There's no way to get around that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have all these other challenges that we have to face. And so the idea of how do I help 50 businesses create one new job? So just think about it. Sam's, mm -hmm. Sam's a tailor, right? And it's just Sam. What would it take Sam to get to the next level to add that next one person in his business? And think about how transformative that would be for Sam and his family and his career and his business. And, you know, and so to me, when I read that, it literally mm -hmm. everything like my brain exploded and it fell into place. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm totally about that. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about this before. This kind of goes hand in hand with WealthWorks. So we've talked about, you might've heard me talk about WealthWorks on here before, and I've linked it in the show notes on previous episodes. And that's about building long lasting community controlled local wealth through eight types of capital. And we're, I could say way mm -hmm. more about that, but this, this one thing to me was probably the thing I took out of this more than anything about how we approach economic development. Because the reality of us landing 50, project, 50 job projects regularly is extremely low. Mm -hmm. Helping businesses that are already here or that are on the cusp of starting create one job, we have tons of that. And we can be very effective at that. And I wish there were more programs and assistance and, and things aimed at doing that yeah and so ends my rant yeah. so this moment <laughs> two, th two things i want to i want to say one th these priorities are bookended i think on purpose again i think this is very purposefully written the first one is helping 50 existing businesses add one new job each and the last one being economic gardening right mm -hmm. so you have this if if you have uh your goal as your economic development department is to go out to these businesses. Hey, how can we help you create another job? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you help them create that, it's not like wipe my hands off. Yeah. We're good. Mm -hmm. No. Go back next year. Right. How's this working out? Yeah. Is there anything? How do we help you maintain that job? Yeah. Right. Like, or create another one? You know what I mean? Like, there's there's got to be the gardening, the yeah. the tilling, the compared to the hunting. You know, the the yes. one and, the one and done. You know, yes. It's, and I. I read this, and I almost think to myself, especially here in, in our little neck of the woods, golly, it sounds like a Chamber of Commerce thing. 
Sure. It really sounds like, you know, in the example of a tailor, how can, Sam, how can we help you get more business? Help me get the word out. Sure. Mm -hmm. How do, like, everybody needs things tailored or fixed or, you know, repaired, whatever. Yeah. How do people know about me? I'm going to hang my shingle over here on Putnam Street. Yeah. But unless people are driving by, you know, I'm not, maybe, especially in communities like ours, I'm not tech savvy. I don't know how to create a Facebook store. I don't know how to, you know, do Instagram or social media or whatever. Yeah. Um, and most of my clients or the people that I would be serving are of a generation that would be using that. Yeah. So it's, it could be like so like monumentally basic stuff. Or maybe it's the economic development department, you know, bringing in uh, an expert and giving a, a, a free presentation on, yep. you know, here's how you can do these things yourself or, you know, creating yeah. tutorials. I know uh, Merida College has an expo every year, the entrepreneur move. Yeah, the mm-hmm. entrepreneurship expo. Yeah. yeah, like, and they, they try to do those things and facilitate those <clears throat> things. So I, I really like... Well, those are so many different, those are so many things, little, big, whatever. And I think what I, what I sometimes see and, and would caution people of is sometimes those one things aren't immediately going to get you that one, that one extra person. Do the one thing to do the next thing to do the next thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, I think two uh, incremental more, approach. Yes. More, Cause more often than not, we just assume, Oh, it's the one, th- what can you do for me? Oh, you're going to do this one thing. I better get uh, tan- something, tan- something as another employee to sure. do it. You know, it's not as easy as that. Uh, so yeah, the incremental yeah. is well, so, so for small business owners, mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, an easy approach for that. Mm-hmm. Don't pull out every piece of profit as a dividend. Mm-hmm. Leave it in there. And figure out what you can actually live on yeah. so that you can scale this up. I, 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 unfortunately, whatever, um, see a lot of small business owners that want to inflate their take-home pay or lifestyle or justify whatever they think of themselves or they want other people to think of them. Mm-hmm. And they'll just start pulling everything, I mean, pulling everything out of the business. And then they can't understand why a bank doesn't want to give them a line of credit. They can't understand why you know, uh, uh, you know, not holding, you know, three months payroll in a bank somewhere will absolutely, when a pandemic strikes, mm-hmm. just completely obliterate your business. You can't run things on the razor's edge. And I feel like, again, I haven't read this book, but I feel like that's the principles that this book is driving at is resilience. It's not just, here's what the town can do, yeah. right? But you should be reading this if you're a, a just a, John Q. Citizen, you know, what can you do? What principles yeah. can you take away from this? Yeah. Yeah. And two, two comments I'll make. So first on the economic gardening, I think in Ohio, we have finally turned the corner on, on actually doing that. I can think of a, a period of gosh, I mean, many years where all the programming and all the incentives and all the support was aimed at attracting new business. Very little of it was aimed at how do we help the businesses we already have? To me, that's what the gardening piece is. Mm-hmm. We have a garden of businesses that are already growing in our communities. How do we support them? Yes, occasionally we're going to plant a new seed in that garden, and we, and we have to get the seed somewhere. And that's, mm-hmm. for years, everything was aimed at that. Yeah. And I think we finally realized that we, have to, we can't just rely on attracting because, again, everybody's trying to do that. I mean, we're really in a battle with Iowa and South Dakota and 
North Carolina. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so yeah. we can't, we're not going to be successful at that game every time. And so we really have to focus on what we have and growing it and supporting it and not only growing it, but sometimes the goal is just help them stay alive. Right. Yeah. How do we give you enough water, sunlight, food that you stay alive to make it to even have a chance to do the next thing? So I think we yeah. finally, we finally turned the corner on that in our, in our programming, you know, so shout out to Ohio DSA and, all, and Jobs Ohio, Ohio Southeast, all those folks that are finally, you know, getting there where I think for years we just had a deficit of yeah. that. So right. there's another uh, one I want to make sure we hit, uh, handing out subsidies to new businesses as a conventional priority versus reducing the burdens on existing businesses. So in my mind immediately goes to something like a TIF um, for uh, that big box retail sure. that's coming in. Um, we had a uh, Port Authority director, a uh, good buddy of ours, a couple of years ago, kind of introduced mm -hmm. this idea of a TIF district in our C4 mm -hmm. for revitalizing unused, vacant second floor space in downtown. Right. Yeah. Is that is that where you 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 pick up on it, or is there some other? thing that I'm missing. This isn't my bailiwick, but I, I that's kind of like in my head where I thought this might be leading to is is those type of incentive programs. Yeah, and I think it's I think what you're describing is an is just an extension of what I was just saying is that you know, a TIF or a CRA or whatever typically is to attract a new development. Mm -hmm. Not always to reinvest or or further develop a, something that's already there yeah. you're you're doing that so john deere will come to your town or, yeah you know whatever mm -hmm. whatever the thing is um and that's a again that's an external attraction thing and and i would argue and people out there might know again for, for decades that that was all we did yeah. was just how do we get people to come from in illinois to here so to me it was a zero-sum game because somebody else is losing right yeah. i mean think about the industries that we had in this town Middleton, Middleton Dahl, you know, Dravo, uh, plumbing and pipe fitting. That's not the right name, but I, you know what I mean? But there were all these other industries that we pined for. Mm -hmm. We lost to someplace else. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we, you know, we got XYZ thing and company that we took from someplace else. So it's, it's a zero sum. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, changing the focus from just the extract, the attraction thing to what can we do to help the folks that are here? Mm hmm was a game changer. And I think the more we can kind of keep our focus on that, the, the better off, the more resilient we'll be for sure. Yeah. And I, I take the reducing the burden of existing businesses as a story I once heard uh, from somebody about a business needing help who had like a water leak. Um, and the, the, the burden to help them out is to forgive their bill. You know, they, if it's a circumstance that is out of their control, mm. you know, it's, it's easy as that as a city official or a city employee to just say, you know what? We're not going to strap you this $500 water yeah, bill you, that you had. We're, we're going to catch yeah. you a break, you know? And that, to me, is some of the, bur the you know, reducing the burden uh, on, on people around you, sure. business around you. Yeah. And where does that most likely occur going back, <laughs> going back to the city engineer and the city planner, hmm. you know, in creating? You know, hmm. those are seats at the table. Mm-hmm. Economic yeah. development's got to have a seat at that table as well to bring those things. Hey, look, you know, engineer, wastewater de department, mm -hmm. let's, let's let's write this one off. You yeah. know, 
help a business out. We'll yeah. pull it out of our budget or whatever. Yeah. You make a transfer. The the infamous transfer. Yeah. On the budget line. Yeah. So or, the, or that rainy day fund or just, you yeah. know, the the extra help a city may have to just be able to to keep things floating for somebody else because the long-term play of that, especially if that burden is extremely, you know, especially during a pandemic mm-hmm. or is just is going to throw them over the edge and then if they're gone, you know, you probably lost more than just that couple hundred bucks you just gave them. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to do it uh, for today's episode. Uh, if you caught us, um, you know, in this, somebody forwarded this to you, and um, you want to go check this book out, Strong Towns by Charles Marone. I hope I'm saying that name you got uh, yep. correctly. Uh, they've got social media channels. They've got, I know they're on Twitter. I know they're on Facebook. Uh, so hit them up. Um, buy this book. I mean, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and if, if somebody out there is applying these concepts in your town successfully and you've had traction with that, I personally would love to hear about that. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. Too. Yeah. Even if you don't have these positions, I think all the three that we talked about and how they, the incremental part, uh, working on what's existing, um, helping out what's existing is all things that you don't, you can do regardless if you're that title or not. Sure. Yeah. One thing I, I may, you know, I'm going to say uh, that I appreciate most about this book is that it, it, it calls balls and strikes. This doesn't have a bent towards sure. one thing or the other. This is like, if you're looking for a black or white type of a book, yeah. that's what I, f- I really feel this is. Agreed. There's, there's nothing political in this book or about it. Um, it it's, it's purely on we all live in communities. We all want them to be better. We want them to be long-lasting. And the way we're operating them right now is not leading us toward those things. Right. And so here are some approaches that might help us uh, get get back on track for what we really want to be. Yeah. And that's kind of how it was. And it might up. take to your grandchildren sure, for yeah. that track to happen. For sure. Yeah. But yeah. for sure. You got to start now. 100%. Yep. For sure. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, questions, hit us up. Support at MyTownHustle.com. Check out the show notes. We'll link to the book, maybe the Amazon page or their, their web page or whatever. Yeah. Like that um, shop. Shout them out. Um, but until next time. Thank you for listening to My Town Hustle. We would greatly appreciate it if you would share our podcast with someone who you think would benefit greatly from it. But most importantly, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you consume your podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening. We used to hide.